Uh, let's open up in prayer and we'll get started. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for the grace you pour out on us. We thank you for the grace you pour out on us in means like your word and worship, fellowship together, Lord. Uh, let us hear from your word, Lord, and let me speak clearly from your word this morning through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're, gonna, we're getting really close to the end of the book of Acts. We got three chapters left, including chapter 26 this morning. And uh, when you go a little more, I was going to say exegetically, but what I'm doing is not actually exegetically. We're going through chapter by chapter, but I'm trying to pick out an idea or a principle or, uh, or a few key verses, especially at the 930. Um, so just to reiterate, during the 930, when I'm preaching, I think this is more of a teaching opportunity, and I don't, man, I don't mind uh, a little back and forth, but I was reminded that we need a little bit more order. And so if you have a question, raise your hand, and I can call on you instead of just shouting it out. And so uh, I don't mind this being a little bit more uh, back and forth. And if you do have questions, you can raise your hand like, Daniel, yes. Yeah, see, it's working. It's working real well. It's much better than shouting. I'm trying to shout over one another. And so... Uh, as we go through Acts 26, um, since it's at the 9.30, we don't, we're not going to sit here and read the entire chapter. I'm just going to give you guys an overview and get, you, get us a little caught up so we can contextually understand where we're at. This is the third time we get Paul's testimony in the book of Acts, and, and so much of the text is, is another rendition of Paul's testimony. When Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, um, you get a, we're going to, we'll look at, you get a little clearer idea of what Christ said when Paul was, when Saul was converted and, and the mission he gave him, he gets a, a little bit more defined here. And one of the things I think we learn through going through scripture and, uh, um, this happens, especially in the book of Genesis, you'll get like, uh, uh, even, uh, Lily was reminding me as she was doing her morning readings this week of in Genesis when in Genesis 24 when uh, the unnamed servant is sent to go find a, a bride for Isaac. Abraham tells him everything to do and then he does it. And it, it gives this whole account of what he does and then as he's talking to uh, Rebecca and her, her dad and brothers and then the servant recounts everything that just happened. And so you get it twice in one chapter, everything that happened, and you're like, wow, if they were writing on like parchment or on stone or something, couldn't they like save, weren't they concerned about saving space? Well, uh, you can see how thick the Bible is, and no, they weren't concerned about saving space at all. Uh, a particular amount of space, you know, when you get to the New Testament scriptures and they're writing on parchment, you only have a certain amount of space to write on, and so they were concerned with. Uh, about what we convert to 26 to 28 chapters worth of material. And so in what Luke's doing here, he's not really concerned about saving space. You know, he's writing the same testimony that Paul reiterates. Again, he could have in a, in a couple sentences uh, uh, summarized that Paul gave his testimony to Agrippa, and this is what Agrippa did. But the testimony is a big deal. The test, people's testimony are a really big deal. And, and um, it would be, I've done this before, but you can go through in Acts 26, 23, and 
Acts 9 and just compare the testimonies. Greg. Can we get a little bit more volume in the sanctuary, please? Is this better? Is this better? A little bit? All right. Yeah, and so uh, I talked a couple weeks ago about just the importance of kind of understanding your testimony and how to use that as a witness. And if you can't reiterate your own testimony, like this is what Christ did for me, this is how his grace was active in my life, you should probably spend some time thinking about that. And like how can I use that to uh, present the gospel? How can I use that as an opportunity? Um, we'll get more into this later, but First Peter 3.15 says, uh, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so uh, people should be, like, if they don't see that you have hope, if they don't see that you have, like, joy, if they don't see that there is something different about you, then that could be a problem. Maybe the gospel hasn't gone deep enough. But the point being is you should always be ready and be prepared to make a defense for the hope that's in you. Why do you act differently? Why do you have hope? Why are you joyous? Why? Um, I, just to give a short little side testimony about, like, this really happens. Like, people really do ask those types of questions, um, especially as our world travels farther into clown world, that, and there is seemingly less hope out there. Uh, if you could remember... Um, the January 6th riots, uh, I remember Noel had a, uh, a student that was like a little like worried. She's like, is our, is our country falling apart? Like, are we, are we getting attacked next? Uh, and I don't know if Noel even knew what happened. I don't know. <laughs> like, if you don't watch the news, you don't hear very much. Uh, and, and political things and what's going out in the world. But uh, there was a student that literally asked her, because Noelle described, like, why she had hope, and she said, well, I'm not too worried about it. And there was a student that literally asked her, uh, why do you have hope? <laughs> what is, what is why, why aren't you in uh, disarray? And that led to uh, maybe about a year's worth of Bible studies. And I think that uh, student ended up moving away, and I believe she still, and that was kind of her foot in the door, to start going to church and, and put her faith in Christ. And so that was, uh, these things really happen. And so your testimony is a big deal. You should be prepared to be, uh, uh, like if I was going to give my testimony, here are like three or four points that I want to make, like really poignant. I want to be very clear about them. And just to give you a heads up, if you read, since we're not going to read this whole chapter, but if you were following along, and uh, your testimony probably shouldn't be like, well, I... I yeah, uh, I started going to church, and I was a good person. <laughs> That's, <laughs> praise God, you could, if you just find a church and go there, you could be a good person too, right? It should be about the, the first part of First Peter 3.15, honor, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, right? The hope that is in you is based on, on Jesus Christ, not on, I just got a little churching up, uh, that there was some really active grace in my life. And so I really do uh, encourage everyone just to consider your testimony and, and pray about it and how you can use that to witness to other people um, and, and, and share the gospel. But anyways, in this chapter, just to get everybody caught up, Paul is now, um, he, in, was it 22? 
21, he starts traveling to Jerusalem. He shows up. He takes tons of precautions not to offend anybody. And as soon as he shows up, people are offended. Um, and they, uh, everywhere Paul goes, there's a riot. And so, especially in Jerusalem, uh, I can't remember if he was in the temple or near the temple, but they, the Jews started a riot. And uh, the Roman tribunal comes in and, and essentially saves him. He speaks to the Jews. They get more mad because Paul says he's coming to preach to the Gentiles. They're very offended at that. And then he goes before uh, Felix, explains his, his testimony there. Uh, the, the Jews conspire to kill him um, on his way, and so they send him in the middle of the night. He gives his testimony to Felix. Uh, Felix doesn't really know what to do with him because they still haven't brought any charges against him. There was really no reason why he was arrested. Uh, the Jews are still planning to, to kill Paul. Um, he's left in prison uh, for two years, and then he finally uh, gets sent. He appeals to Caesar. He gets a, a court date, appeals to Caesar, and before he does that, he's going to uh, talk to Agrippa. And so contextually, this is Agrippa II. And so his, Agrippa's great-grandfather was Herod the Great. Uh, his son was Agrippa I, who persecuted the church in, in Acts 12. If you remember, the, the, uh, the governor, the, the king, the Agrippa, the uh, first one, who is proclaiming how, how great he is. And, uh, and then he... Um, how is it worded? He falls dead. He ends up falling ill, and within 24 hours, he's dead. Um, oh, and the, the crowds are shouting, this is the voice of a God and not a man. Uh, and, and he falls dead the next day. So don't do that. Um, and so after that, if you guys know anything about the, the uh, Roman Herods that are Going down the line, every generation, it gets worse. And, and so you could imagine the kind of person Agrippa that Paul is talking to is. And in, in this civilization, he has power to appoint the high priest of the Jews. That would be like, um, that would be similar to if uh, Mike DeWine came through and said, I got a new pastor for you, here he is. Uh, or like in communist China, they have the state churches. They get to assign the pastors. They get to assign what they preach and, and whatnot. So uh, in this system, Agrippa II here, he has the power to appoint the high priest. And so uh, that's the kind of culture Paul's you know, in, in right now. And so if you look at... Um, Chapter 26, verse 5, it says, Paul says, uh, speaking about the Jews, they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, that I've lived as a Pharisee. And so Paul's making the point to actually identify with the Pharisee party in some context, and he's going to argue uh, that he's on trial for the resurrection. And he says that Grippa is aware about this. He's aware about those things. He uh, Agrippa would identify more with the Pharisee party than the Sadducees, um, just based on the political power. And Paul even says that you know these things. You know all these things about the Jews. You know all these things about the Jewish customs. Um, and so Paul uses this as a way to share the gospel, to give his testimony 
and then urge Agrippa to become a Christian. And so one of the things that's interesting about this testimony is we get the line where, he's, where Paul's recounting his testimony, and Christ says, Paul is it, or Saul, is it hard for you to kick against the goats? What's a, what's a, not the goats, is it not hard to kick the goats? What's a goad? Oh, 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 let's see, we're practicing. John Luke. It's not, the, it's not the yoke on their shoulders. Anybody else? Anybody else? A goad? Catherine? Yeah, a goad is to, for uh, everyone online who didn't hear that, it's, it's a prod for, for sheep, for goats, for herdsmen to use to, to prod the cattle back in line. And uh, if you were to try to get behind a goat and push it, what do you think would happen? They're going to kick it. But if you use a pointy stick, right, you're they're kicking against something that is going to hurt them more, right? And I love that. Uh, that Paul's using this in his testimony because um, I think that has something to do with Herod being a little bit more in tune with the the Pharisees and the and the political and the Jewish parties of knowing the Jewish customs. Great. Right, right. You could attach it to wagons or anything. Right, you could do multiple so that any time that they kick and buck the work uh, that the driver is pointing them towards would would be painful. I mean, stop kicking. And so Christ brings that out. I think that's just funny. Uh, when we think of our Lord, sometimes we don't think about... Uh, uh, sometimes we think about it a, a little bit too abstractly, but he, <laughs> he comes... Paul, is it hard, Saul, is it hard to kick against the goads? Like, that's kind of funny. Uh, sometimes the Lord uh, brings that to us. It's uh, a little poignant. And, and so that's kind of the way of salvation, right? That's how, uh, when we understand soteriology and how Christ brings us forward, he's, um, it's, it's, it's us. He's bringing us along. He's putting these goads there, and we're just the ones bucking and kicking and screaming and crying and saying, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, don't save me, please, until he brings us to faith. And, and, uh, and I think that's what Paul's getting at in his, in his testimony here. We don't, I don't think we have the whole thing. I don't, think in, uh, I don't think he had 30 seconds to maybe a minute if you read the whole thing, the whole chapter. I don't think Paul was before Agrippa for one minute. Uh, I think we get a summary of of what was said, and so uh, and and highlights, and and so if you look at uh, verse twenty six, chapter twenty six, verses eighteen through nineteen, Paul explains that uh, uh, that Christ gave him a little bit 
in this testament, we get a little bit clearer picture of, of Paul's mission work that he was supposed to do. And he says in verse 18, to open the eyes so that they may, that, that's the Gentiles, or that all he's preaching to, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, in Christ. That is Christ speaking. And so look at Colossians 1. So we always get this in, um, in the scriptures. We always get this uh, seemingly pitted against each other. Colossians 1, let's uh, look at verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the, us, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Great, we got redemption, we got forgiveness of sins. Heck yeah, let's go party. Do whatever we want. Verse 21 of chapter 1 of Colossians. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Yes, grace upon grace. Let's do whatever we want. If indeed you continue in the faith. Ah. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And so we always have this tension in Scripture that I think even Paul is, is bringing out here, uh, maybe just in a seminal form, is that Christ is the one who delivers us. He transfers us. He's the one that gives us faith, yet we still have to continue in it. He gives it to us. We have to grab a hold of it. Right? When in, in Philippians, when it uh, says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for his God who is at work in you. Well, you do have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and it is God who is working in you. And so you have to take those divine tensions uh, and, and not try to fall in either, either ditch. Uh, I've been listening to a, a couple. Uh, I found it interesting when I'm working, and I can do more mindless work, and I've been listening to debates recently, and because that sounds fun, listening to people argue, and helps me at home a lot. <laughs> no, it doesn't, but, uh, uh, but one of the debates was just like, is Calvinism biblical? And in my estimation, it's just uh, a lot of people, a lot of these arguments are based on terminologies and what do we mean and how are you defining it? But, but you have to hold these tensions uh, in, in the scriptures and what it says, and it says that you're sanctified by faith, right? You're sanctified. You're, you're set apart by faith. It's what do you have to do to be acceptable to God? You have to have faith. He will sanctify you. He will set you apart. Uh, but it's like all of the Christian life. You're sanctified. Um, you are, are holy. You're redeemed. You're transferred from, the dark, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you're sanctified in that manner. But yet you still need to be sanctified according to the law, right? Your sanctification isn't just ethereal. We are sanctified. It does, I think, in Ephesians say that we are uh, set apart and sanctified before the foundations of the world. And so we are a people set apart. We are sanctified so that we are a people who are set apart, sanctified, right? So that we live it out. And so that sanctification is always according to the law. This is essentially how we know what love is. How do we love one another? Uh, how do we know what it means to love God and, and love our neighbor? 
Well, it's according to the law, right? Um, the law is how we know if we're going in the right direction. And so let's get back to uh, Acts 26 and look at verse 19, 19 and 20. Therefore, what's Paul saying? Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And so what we're getting to at the end of this chapter, in, in verse 27, uh, Paul asks, do you believe the prophets? And so he's pitting Agrippa. What if he says yes? What if he says yes, I agree with the prophets? Whoa, whoa. We're going to practice again. It doesn't make him a Christian right, right then, but it is if you believe the prophets, then here is the Christ that all of the prophets are pointing to. That's what he's getting at. What if he says no? What if he says, no, I don't believe the prophets? <laughs> yeah, the Jews will be really upset, and he's not going to have that political sway. And so if he says, yes, I agree with the prophets, then Paul would be like, then here's the church. Here's Christ. <laughs> right? Here he is. John Luke. You say it's mirroring the image of when Christ uh, asked the Pharisees the question, does John the Baptist preach the kingdom of God or the kingdom of men? Yeah, that would mirror the same, same type of question. I forget what that's called. There is a terminology for that if you wanted to know. Greg's used it multiple times. I don't know if... Uh, but, yeah, it pitch you, essentially, if you, it's a yes or no question, uh, I mean, what is the group going to say? Uh, well, I, I believe some of the prophets, but it's not this Jesus guy, and, 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 and anthamine, thank you, thank you, Greg. And anthamine, where you put it, these two questions, this question, if you go one way, then it leads in one direction, and you have to go in that direction, and if it leads in the other direction, you have to go in that direction. And, uh, there, uh, for Agrippa, there's no suitable answer for him because he says uh, in verse 27, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Or I don't know Greek, uh, but I do know how to use my Bible online. And it has notations that says, or it could be translated, or in a short time, would you persuade me to act like a Christian? And so... Because that, that's the natural outcome. I think that's where we get with uh, uh, if he were to say he's a Christian, what Paul's saying that if you're sanctified, if you're set apart, if you repent, you have to act according to your repentance with good works and deeds. And so if he, if, uh, I think we got this when we talked about Felix, but if Agrippa was converted, he would have to change a few things in the whole society. He's the one who's in charge of whether uh, the justice system he's in charge of, he has political realms or political rights in that society over uh, the Jews, and the Jews weren't acting too great at that time. Uh, in just a few short years, there's, there's so many conflicts and, and physical fights and, and murders inside the, the Jewish uh, people in Jerusalem that, that Rome comes in and does all the killing for him. Uh, pretty much. And so if Agrippa was to be converted, he would, in his position and authority, have to act like a Christian. 
he would have to enact justice. He would have to decide what justice is. Um, And so one of the reasons uh, why we have the political leaders we have is because we deserve them. Is anybody like super happy with our political, uh, our politics right now, our political stream? Is there anybody that's super happy? Like, I love the direction we're going. I love if we could raise those taxes a little bit higher. I love if we could make, uh, even though, you know, in the great sovereignty of God, uh, Roe was overturned, but babies are still getting murdered on a daily basis. Uh, is anybody being like, I love that this is happening? Uh, I love that the government technically owns my property, and if I don't pay them every year, they'll take it. Right? Does anybody love our political atmosphere right now? I don't think so. And so uh, if Agrippa was converted, a few, a few things would have to change. And one of the reasons I love Bible reading plans, and I really haven't changed mine at all in like nine years, uh, besides a few things here and there, is just Genesis to Malachi, uh, Matthew to Revelation with reading Psalms and Proverbs separately is because you get the, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books at the beginning of your reading. And so this is just a general um, observation. This isn't, uh, you know, but when you kind of like read a book here and a book, book there, you don't really get the foundations of the Pentateuch that all of the rest of scripture, especially the Old Testament, is built upon. And so I love reading like Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord, you know, and his delight is in it. But if you don't know what the law of the Lord is, what the heck are you going to meditate on? You don't know. You're gazing at something. Uh, You're thinking about something, but it's not according to what God would have you meditate on. And so uh, just as a, a personal preference, I like to read the Pentateuch first in my scripture readings because, you know, when you get to like Second Chronicles, you're like, oh man, I'm a little tired. Yeah. Uh, you got like nine chapters of genealogy to start and you're like, I'll just kind of skim this today and maybe I'll get something out of it next year when I get here. But for me, probably not. Um, is because you get the law, you get the foundations in the first part of the year. Right? You get the, the Pentateuch, you get the laws, you, you get the history from creation to the, and through the, these covenants, through uh, Abraham, Noah, uh, Adam. Um, you get the patriarchs, and you get in Deuteronomy 17, 18, the law that says it commands kings to write their own copy of the law. So every time there was a new king, they were supposed to write out the law for themselves. Why is that? Why do the kings have to write their own law? Daniel. So they can meditate on it. So they could know it. They could read through it. They at least have to read through it and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, oh, yeah, just weights and measures. Uh, maybe we should go off the gold standard. Yeah. Uh, they would have to be founded in what is righteous and what is not. And so my point here is not that... Uh, not to emphasize our political system or whatever is going on out in the world. The point is to emphasize in we have the, the, the rulers that we have because we deserve them. Do you know the law? 
Do you know righteousness? Do you know, uh, can, do you meditate on the law day and night? Are you like a tree planted by streams of water who bears its fruit in and out of season, right? Or, or are you like the chaff that's blown away that, that won't stand in the congregation? Uh, I always like that verse in Psalm 1. That's why I encourage my kids to stand up when we sing is because they will stand in the congregation of the righteous. So they, so they stand. But, right, the, the point is, is we have what we have because we deserve it. It doesn't start by getting out there and, and writing letters. Sure, that's, that's great. It starts by do we meditate on the law at home? Do we enact justice at home? Do we know it? Do we treat and love our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that accords with the scriptures? Right? That's what it all boils down to. Uh, we can't say, oh, what they're doing is wrong, and then not even know what is right. Uh, I always love in, I call them counseling situations, but most of the time it's just like talking with uh, another brother in Christ, or they're not saying, please counsel me, but I call it, but I'm going to counsel you. Uh, and they're uh, complaining about a situation or something, I'm like, well, what would you do? And they're like, Oh, I haven't thought about that. I just know what's, this is wrong. Like, yeah, that's a good start. Uh, but maybe you should figure out through the scriptures what should be done instead of just uh, complaining and saying this is wrong, this isn't right, figure out what is right, what God would command. And so it starts at our homes. It starts in our families. It starts with men who rule well in their homes uh, with wisdom and righteousness. Uh, you ever... I guess we have, if you have more than one kid, this, is, this applies to you. You ever have uh, your, or I should just say, you are presented, if you have more than one kid, you're presented with a situation where you have to de- deem righteousness right and wrong and how to enact justice in wisdom. Everybody with more than one kid said amen. Uh, it's really easy if you got one because there's one culprit. But when there's, two, when there's two wrongs, what do you do? And so Daniel 2.21, uh, this is all throughout Scripture, but, but he, being God, removes kings and establishes kings. Right? God's in control. We have who we have because we don't know righteousness, because we don't know wisdom, because we don't live it. And the only way to change uh, the society at large is to change our societies at home, to change in ourselves. To, to apprehend the scriptures, to know how justice and wisdom is enacted, and, and to do it. And so, uh, in kind of the concluding statements of this chapter, if you look at chapter 26, verses starting at 30, it says, Then the king rose, that's Agrippa, and the governor and Bernice. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention uh, about this king Agrippa. Bernice is his sister. Uh, and those who were sitting with them, And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so, in God's sovereignty, uh, Paul did the right thing by appealing to Caesar because the Jews were just waiting for for him to get... uh, It was Felix who was going to send him back. Maybe it was Festus Festus who was going to send him back to to Jerusalem to have counsel, and the Jews were just going to figure out when that is, and ambush him and kill him. Uh, so he appeals to Caesar. 
And so uh, the conclusion here that Agrippa gets to is that we've got this guy in prison. He hasn't done any wrong. We're sending him to Rome, and we don't have any charges on the guy. And we're just going to send him. Uh, and they're kind of in a, a bind in, in that sense. Not in one sense, because they're in control, and they're the rulers, and they get away with a lot, and they can get away with a lot more. But um, I don't think this is a... Oftentimes we read that and say, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar, and we kind of reason with Paul or reason with Agrippa uh, and Festus there and say, yeah, man, Paul could have been set free if he didn't, like, exert his rights or or do something. Um, But I think that was Paul's kind of his goal. He knew that he was going to witness and tell his testimony before kings and governors, and he's working his way through the hierarchy. And they're kind of in a bind because they're like, we don't really have any charges against this guy. We keep holding him, but we don't even know what to charge him with yet. We just know that where he goes, people want to kill him, and there's a riot, and we can't have that. Uh, and that gives Paul the opportunity to to share the gospel uh, and and do it kind of poignantly. And so I don't think we should side with Agrippa here and say, man, if Paul just would have kept his mouth shut, he could have gotten out. Because uh, it didn't matter where Paul went. It didn't matter. He was going to do kingdom work wherever he went. He was very content, uh, as it says in Philippians, in, in many in, or in loss. It didn't matter. He was going to preach the gospel. He was going to uh, disciple people. He was uh, going to plant churches. He was going to do what the Lord had called him to do wherever he went. And uh, in God's sovereignty, we can see that if he was set free, he probably would have been more concerned with uh, discipling, planning churches, and, and doing the kind of day-to-day work kind of thing. Or in prison, he gets to write 13 letters. Um, not all, actually, not all of them. Not, he didn't write 13 in prison. I think it's like three. I don't know the exact number, but... Uh, but he got to write more letters that the Holy Spirit inspired and gave us for scriptures because he appealed to Caesar. And as we kind of close uh, the, the book in the next couple of chapters, we're going to see that it's kind of left on a tail end that you're like, oh man, is Paul, is Paul free? Is there out? Well, no, Paul, uh, he doesn't, it doesn't leave with him getting out of, out of jail, but it does leave with him uh, uh, preaching the gospel, discipling people, uh, and still planting churches. And so wherever the Lord would have us sovereignly go, that's our mission. That's what we're called to do. That's why I'm encouraging everybody to have solid in them the testimony of what Christ has done for you and, and be able to present that clearly. And I think in Agrippa's case, he knew the law. He knew the, the Jewish customs more clearly so he could clearly present, this is what it says. And so knowing your hearts when, not just know in your hearts, know in your minds what is right, what is wrong, what does the law say? Uh, even in, in, in our church, and, you know, I talk to people in the fellowship hour, and um, whenever I bring up certain topics, there's certain questions that come up, and it's always towards the end of, like, the law, how do we enact that in society? Uh, well, let's start with how do we enact it in our, in our lives? How do we how do we take the next step to understand the scriptures more, to implement that in our families, to teach our children, to disciple one another, right? Instead of, act, and instead of asking, 
What about this obscure situation in the corners? Well, sure, the, we could use wisdom and figure that out. And, uh, but let's use the law as a means or a gauge of our sanctification. Not that we should grab the law and, and just work it out and try really hard, but grab the law as a means of grace. Love the law, as, as David says in the Psalms, and, and figure out righteousness and enact it and, and plead for the Lord, to the Lord for grace. Plead with him for wisdom. How do we do this? And so, uh, you know, Paul was looking for opportunities everywhere he went to share the gospel. Everywhere he went, he was looking to give, to talk about Christ um, and, and share what he, he had done. And I hope that that is our position. I think we should regularly pray for opportunities and look for them. Um, I would love to, I don't know, more systematically, like I would love to keep a prayer journal or something of like, I prayed for this, and then the Lord answered it this way. I prayed for this opportunity uh, to speak to this person, and this is how the Lord granted it. And then you have to be ready. You got to really be ready. Uh, I've done that multiple times, and the Lord gave me the opportunity, and I was like, this is it. And then I just sat there, and the, the moment passed. Just let it go. And the Lord brought it. And so he gives us more grace to have those opportunities and to, to learn from them. But pray for those opportunities. Look for them and, and be ready to speak. And so let's close in prayer. Uh, Lord, give us grace as we come to worship you. Pray that uh, your spirit would be here, that we would uh, grab a hold of you, Lord, by grace. Give you the worship you deserve uh, through Jesus Christ. Amen.